Well, we have been working on a series about truth and trust this month. And I began by laying out a bit of a case for why truth and trust might be in a little bit of trouble. Truth is, I think, struggling in an age of media that's politically segregated, social media that's this rapid-fire delivery system for half-truths and outrage. And when truth is struggling, then trust doesn't generally do well either. People have less and less confidence today in the systems and structures we all rely on, as well as reporting less trust in each other. And I fear that's a recipe for dysfunction and despair. And it's my conviction that the solution has to begin with people, with people like us who will demonstrate that we hold trust and trustworthiness as being very important, recognizing that these are a necessary part of our faith in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't always come easily. Last Sunday, Erica took us through a passage where Jesus talked about either being children of God or belonging to the father of lies. And that passage really highlighted just how good people are at self-deception. Human beings have this incredible capacity to lie to themselves. And so when we are not acting in a way that we should, according to what it is we say we believe, we can invent all kinds of justifications for that. Instead of humbling ourselves and having the courage to say, I'm wrong. Like, I have left the path I'm supposed to be on, and I need to get back on it. That is repentance. And it used to be very important to Christians, although I fear we have become less comfortable with it. So today, for Father's Day, I want to dig into some truths and lies that affect men in particular. Now, I'll give the same disclaimer that I've given before about this, which is that when the Bible says that men should do a certain thing or be a certain way, those principles tend to apply to women as well, right? The Ten Commandments say, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. That is not a free pass for you women to covet your neighbor's husbands. It's just assumed that these apply to both. The the Christian virtues, the fruit of the Spirit, the qualities that come with being a disciple of Jesus are not, in my view, gendered. Men and women, however, are not the same. We were created by God with differences in our inclinations and our capabilities. There's a broad spectrum. There's lots of overlap. But as I read my Bible and look at the world, I see that God values difference, that he created distinctions between the sexes that allow us to benefit from each other's insights and abilities when we treat each other with the love God has called us to. And that part is always key, that love. Not sappy, corny, Hallmark movie love, but the steadfast and self-sacrificing and world-changing love we see in Christ Jesus. The love that, as we read about in 1 Corinthians 13, is patient and kind, not jealous or proud, not rude or demanding or irritable, but which never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. This is love which does not, the Bible says, take pleasure in injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. And that's a line I think maybe people have, you know, not paid a lot of attention to when they read the rest of 1 Corinthians 13. Love rejoices in the truth. And here's a truth that I hope is uncontroversial, that when either men or women are doing poorly, that's ultimately bad for everyone. I think that's uncontroversial when it comes to women. There's Still a lot of work to do, for sure, but our culture, I think, is at least now sold on the value of better protecting and encouraging and supporting and celebrating women after so many generations of willful inequality and injustice. But it might actually be controversial, at least in some circles, to say that we also need to do a better job 
of loving and lifting men up today. But we do. Because if you say men are having a hard time today, then you might get laughed out of certain rooms. Because, I mean, men rule the world, right? Don't they run things? But that's, that's kind of a half-truth. A small number of hyper-successful men do run a lot of the world. But that is a tiny number of people. For the much larger number of men, especially younger men today, things can actually be very challenging. We look and see a growing gap in education, where boys significantly underperform girls in school, where women are becoming, are outnumbering men in universities and colleges more and more every year. At the same time, we see that the, the jobs that men without more education used to be able to do and make careers out of, those are not looking like very good bets anymore, some of them. Things like manufacturing or transportation or others, that automation and AI will keep transforming and there won't be as much need for workers. Men are also faring the worst in what one researcher called a crisis of connection. In the United States, at least, men in their 20s today are much more likely than women to be romantically uninvolved, friendless, and lonely. And you could ask, well, are, are there entitled men out there who just need to adapt to a changing world instead of getting mad that things that everyone else struggles to get aren't being handed to them anymore? And you could say, sure, there are. And shame on the ones who take that anger out on women in particular. But there are many, many others who are simply trying to live as decent people in this world and they don't see a way forward in life or work or relationships. They're stuck. And if there's one thing our world does not have a lot of sympathy for, it's men who don't succeed. Men aren't supposed to need help or be burdens. Now, I don't know how that anyone understands the full extent of all this or where it's going to lead us. And none of us, of course, have our hands on the giant levers of power in the worlds of reforming the entire education system or making the work world function differently. But there is one thing, one, I think, very important thing that the church can and should offer men today, and that is some truth. Truth to counter lies that leave some men feeling unwanted or discouraged. Truth to give a positive vision about what men can and should be, God helping them. So let's, let's start with a lie. Masculinity is toxic. Now, that's not what most people mean when they use this kind of newish term, toxic masculinity. That's supposed to refer to harmful behaviors like trying to dominate other people or extreme risk-taking or, or violence. And this certainly exists. There are too many men who do continue to do harm to themselves and others by practicing those behaviors. But there are also voices who would claim that any traditionally masculine thing is toxic, being competitive or aggressive or self-reliant. And that message is getting through to some men who are left thinking the world considers them toxic just for being men. And as a Christian, I don't think it matters much at all what traditional cultural ideas about masculinity are or what different people or different political groups think about them today. What matters is how God made you and who he calls you to be. And that's a good thing, especially, uh, or sorry, it is a good thing, for example, that we have aggressive and competitive and risk-taking people around us. I don't know if some of you read one of the stories uh, from, uh, that came out in the wake of the, the wildfires, but CBC had one about two Halifax firefighters who were out in their fire truck in the evacuation area, and they got a call about a resident who might not know that he needed to evacuate. And so they drove to the home of this older man who had dementia and to check on him. 
And the flames were so close and the smoke was so thick, it took them about three tries to find the, the driveway and the right address because they couldn't even see the signs on the side of the road. But when they got up the driveway, they found the house and there was fire on all sides of it. And one of the firefighters got to the door and it was locked, so he kicked it in and found the man just kind of sitting, rocking on his living room chair right there. And so the firefighters grabbed him, they threw him in the fire truck, and they made their way out. And at that point, you know, that meant driving through walls of flames at certain points and you know, hardly being able to see you know, a couple feet in front of them. The fire captain in charge of the truck was quoted as saying that it was the first time in 20 years that he had ever wondered if he might get home safely. But they did make it out. They returned the man to his family at an evacuation center uh, with a great deal of gratitude. And, of course, they wouldn't dream of being called heroes, right? They were just doing their jobs. That's what they say. And, like, make no mistake, there are female firefighters who would have done exactly the same thing without hesitation. It happens that these two were, were men. But if we ever get to this place of perfect equality among the sexes, for a variety of reasons, you're still going to mostly, you're going to have a, a strong majority of men who are going to be doing the most physically dangerous and demanding jobs. And there are a number of very good reasons for that. And so we need to not make people think that the qualities that make many men well-suited to those things are somehow toxic. We should commend those qualities, including when we find them in rambunctious boys, and give men opportunities to use them for a good purpose. At the same time, there's another lie that has to be dealt with, which is what happens when people hold up certain like macho traits and call that the definition of what is masculine. And that's a real struggle that a lot of men have. Like, you're not a real man if you're not fit enough, tall enough, don't make enough money, don't dress snappily enough, don't know how to easily talk to or pick up women. Uh, just this week, as I was writing this, there was a post that popped up in my social media. Someone had paid to promote this, to, you know, had put money in to make sure that I would see this. And it said, a man must lift, a man must fast, a man must focus, a man must create. These are non-negotiables for men. Of course, it was in writing. I'm assuming that's the voice it was supposed to be read in, but... Right? Non-negotiables. Apparently, there are just, just no real men in the world who don't lift weights and fast. And apparently, there's money to be made by announcing this and kind of making men who don't do these things feel that they're not good enough. And let's just say, enough of this junk, right? Instead, listen to Galatians 6.4. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. And look, there is nothing at all wrong, of course, with fitness or striving to succeed in the working world, dressing well, these, they're just external things. They're not what matter most. What matters most is character and purpose. We need a confident sense of who we are and a mission that we can accomplish in this world. And the good news is that any man can gain these things. The Bible offers us some incredible help in this respect. I mean, it shows us how the only perfect man ever lived. You've got the words and actions of Jesus right at your fingertips. So there's no need to wonder what it looks like to live well in this world and make a difference in the lives of others for having been here. What we see in Jesus exposes many of these lies about men because he was so complete. He was so fully human. Right? We see Jesus warmly welcoming children, being the kind of person they wanted to be around. We see how he wept after the death of his friend Lazarus and shared in the grief of Lazarus' family. 
We see that he was a magnet for broken people who sensed his compassion. And we also see that he was wildly courageous, that he came to the defense of those being abused and oppressed, that he did not back down in the face of powerful people who wanted to kill him for it. He was offered the chance to rule the world politically, and he turned that down, turned down Satan's temptation so that he could continue on his path toward the cross and give his life for us. And on that cross, in such incredible pain, he asked God to forgive the people insulting and killing him. Jesus became the most influential and famous person in human history, which is what we might expect from the Son of God and the only perfect man. And in order to do this, Jesus depended on his connection to God. He was disciplined in his study of Scripture and time was a prayer and retreat. His willingness to do what he knew God wanted him to do no matter what. But of course, you don't become like Jesus by wanting to become like Jesus. And you don't even become like Jesus by, you know, reading your Bible and praying every day. Although you are choosing not to get very far if you don't do those things at all. But part of becoming like Jesus is taking up the mission that he gave us. Obeying his commands. And I picked one little section from the book of Romans, which I thought had some good marching orders for us to take a look at today. So we'll put on screen Romans 12, 9 to 21. If you want a moment to look that up in your own Uh, Bibles, you can go ahead and do that, and that'll be this morning's scripture lesson. Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 9. Let's receive from God's word now. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, so much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And does that not go hand in hand with these qualities of Jesus we just talked about? One scholar writes that this bit of the Bible is a concise description of the basics of effective Christian living, that it's a lot of what we're called to do just found in a few verses. Starting, of course, with sincere love, which we talked about briefly, being devoted to one another, honoring one another, and then the practical ethical commands that are here. Share with others, practice hospitality, live in harmony with one another. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with people. Don't think of yourself as superior. Don't take revenge and trade wrong for wrong. Do good even to your enemies and let God hold them to account. We also see in this that there's just, there's no suggestion at all that this is going to be easy, right? Because it says, be patient in affliction. 
Bless those who persecute you. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, which means evil has been done to you. Do not over, be overcome by evil. It's a reminder that we're going to face hard things, unfair things, even evil things. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's evil out there in the wider world, and there's evil in here. Right? There's evil in, a wor- in the world that needs to be opposed, crime or abuse or oppression. There's evil that is after you, that's trying to keep you from being the person you were created to be, trying to rob you of that character and purpose. And there's evil lying to you, telling you that you are not good enough, that you don't matter, that you don't have something to offer that the world needs. And some of those lies extend to fathers as well. There are so many myths about dads that just refuse to die, these zombie ideas that people continue to carry with them, right? Like myths that the dads don't do their fair share or that they're not as necessary as moms. Myths that dads are kind of these bumbling sidekicks who just kind of do what they're told and often badly. Or that dads are less capable of being compassionate or, or communicating. And on the whole, these simply are not true. For one thing, like biology will tell us that both mothers and fathers are capable of forming equally strong bonds with infants and children if they're engaged in their care. The effects of moms and dads is not the same, but it is equally important. For another thing, fathers today on the whole, again, they spend nearly as much time with their kids as mothers, despite the fact that when both are employed, the fathers tend to work about an extra 90 minutes a day at their job. And when asked, most fathers would say they wish they could cut back on work. They would like to spend more time with their kids and family. But in our culture, that's often hard to do. Because, of course, it's assumed that women are the primary caregivers. And in male-dominated fields of work, there generally are not programs and allowances and options to give men more flexibility. And that's a really costly mistake for us to make as a society. Besides the fact that that puts undue pressure on women sometimes. But also because... Children who feel close to their father are twice as likely to go to to college or find stable employment after high school. They're 75% less likely to have a teen birth, 80% less likely to end up in jail at some point, half as likely to experience symptoms of depression. I mean, at a time when there is a mental health crisis among teens and children today, we hear so much about the need for more medical and government help, and that need may be very real. But there is is no government or medical intervention that comes close to being as effective for kids and youth as having a loving and involved father or father figure. So these zombie myths, these have got to go. Dads can be as connected and important to raising their kids from the day they are born onward. Dads can be just as skilled at caring for their kids. They seem to have as well a particular ability to inspire them towards self-confidence and success in school and work later in life. Most dads are putting in the effort and trying to be involved partners, and that matters a great deal. 